0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: What makes life meaningful? Some would say faith. Others might suggest family. Some would say good deeds or kindness, judgment and justice. Still, others recommend passion. One thing they would probably all agree on is the vital importance of meaningfulness in human life. The human condition being what it is and what it always has been, philosophers and thinkers from earliest times have grappled with the meaning of life. Today's guest has written a broad and penetrating analysis of the biblical book of Ecclesiastes view of life's meaning, compared with other ancient world views, including those of Egyptian, Mesopotamian, and Greek cultures. His research and insights have a great deal to offer to us 21st century readers. Welcome to the Van Leer Jerusalem series on ideas. I'm Renee Garfinkel, your host, and I'm delighted to welcome Arthur Jan Kiefer to the program today to talk about his exceptional book, Ecclesiastes and the Meaning of Life in the Ancient World. Arthur Kiefer teaches theology, philosophy, and religion at Eton College in England. Arthur Jan Kiefer, welcome to the podcast.
0: Renee, thanks so much for having me on. It's a delight to be here.
1: I always like to start out by asking my guests something about their early life. Uh, With you, I I guess I have two uh, areas of interest. The first is was there a religious or spiritual background to your own childhood, your own family?
0: There was, and um, my parents and family, more broadly, were Protestant Christians, and and still are. And so, church was a reality of weekly life, and um, we had a community of Christian friends, and uh, in the home, that was a, a big part of of life. It looked different at different kind of ages and and stages. But uh, yeah, faith, and particularly the Christian faith, was was a major part of growing up.
1: And what would you say were major influences on your own intellectual development as you were growing up and growing through school? Well,
0: I wasn't particularly an an all-star student when I was younger. I wasn't kind of always getting, you know, top marks on the test. And I, I did my homework and got along fine and things like that. But I was always a, a bit interested and distracted with other things. And so uh, music was a huge part of life growing up. And I think that was incredibly formative intellectually, actually, in terms of learning how to read music and play music and and so on. Um, and I just had other kind of kind of crafty uh, Habits and hobbies, so building different things and and getting into stuff like that. And so, uh, school was was always there. And my intellectual life, uh, though, was probably most formed uh, outside of out, out, outside of that. Um, and a strange thing was though, kind of in classic academic subjects, I like I loved math and things like that. And I really struggled to write. And so I, I had to learn and work a lot at at, at writing. But um, now I'm writing books and never really doing math, which is which is kind of funny. But, um, yeah. So, uh, so I think it was kind of broader sets of hobbies and interests that were really intellectually formative. My parents were were all star students, and they were really um, uh, had always been uh, great at school and the things that they did, and that in that regard. And so, uh, they were very, and always have been supportive of, of education and my education. So, uh, even if I kind of warmed to, uh, um, academic life later on, uh, they were fully, uh, fully behind that. And so uh, I really credit them with uh, a lot of my interests now.
1: That's really very interesting that, uh, math and music, uh, brought you eventually to text uh which is which is not uh immediately apparent but uh also that that story is like uh, many children growing up who uh eventually say school didn't get in the way of their intellectual development that's most they could say about uh, grade school elementary school uh and high school uh but uh your path brought you to some really important insights which We'll try to share with the listeners. Now and we'll turn to your book. Uh, start by explaining the lens through which you examine the meaning of life, psychology's threefold concept.
0: If if you asked anyone on the street what they thought the meaning of life was, I, th- I think you'll get some different answers. Uh, and I suspect that they will eventually kind of materialize and, and gather into a few similar answers. So they'd eventually kind of connect and you'd find some, some patterns. I, I draw particularly on people who have studied, not consulting people on the street, but doing empirical work and talking to people about what they think the meaning of life is. And um, in 2016, there was a really uh, wide ranging article that took a lot of the studies from the social sciences on the meaning of life. And really, kind of cohered it all, and and summarized things, and drew out some of the patterns that they found in those studies. And they came up with a threefold understanding of the meaning of of life. And uh, the first category is coherence. Second is significance, and and the third is purpose. And um, so these are these are the the categories that I use uh, across the book, and I can explain those and draw those those out, of course. But the so it's really drawing from that, the social sciences. there's both kind of theory-based uh, studies of the meaning of life and then really a lot of dealing with people on the ground and figuring out what they mean and what it might mean to not have meaning in life and which of the types of meaning is is more important. and and that sort of thing. So I, I really do, in a not totally artificial, but but certainly in an external sense, take those categories and then, uh, use them as the lens through which I read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's
1: it's a very comprehensive uh, approach to it, and it enables the reader, uh, both the reader of your book and, and the reader of the, that research, to get a grip on uh, a concept that can be a little uh, ambiguous at times. Uh, so purpose and significance... Uh, are to almost um, well, why don't you define them as as the research defines it?
0: Sure. Purpose is really anything that lends direction to life. And now when we're talking about these meaning meaning of life categories, this is this is really all revolves around an individual. So I guess you could extend it to communities, but it's really talking about an individual from their perspective uh, what gives life meaning or how they understand meaning. Um, so some people would say technically that's meaning in life. Do you have meaning in your life as opposed to another huge question of the meaning of life? So what, what, what is, or should be the kind of meaning of everyone's life, uh, and, uh as being a human. So purpose is, is really anything that lends direction to life. It can be framed in terms of goals, uh, a mission, uh, and really, to use its own word, uh, uh, just a purpose. And so, um, that's often, you know, given to people, or we give it to ourselves, and and that sort of thing. Significance is is really something inherent about life. Is life valuable? Is it worthwhile? and really the the kind of kicker question here is, is life worth living? Then you might say, why is it worth living? And that would fill out what makes life significant.
1: But it's coherence that interests Ecclesiastes. Um, So let's see why that is so important to him. Why is that what troubles him?
0: Yeah, coherence, I think it's a little bit more it's a little less intuitive i think these days than the other two but um, coherence is referring to patterns that reliably link up in the world it's it's more external than purpose more external than significance in term in in the sense that it depends a bit more on just you and and what you think and and what you do Uh, So coherence would be the kind of reliability of how things work out in life. So um, you might think about it in terms of input and output. If I do one thing, does um, the kind of right thing uh, result? And related to that, it also uh, is tied to sense making. So does my life make sense? Uh, do the things that I do uh, really add up in the in the scheme of things? So uh, someone might think about this commonly in terms of career progression, right? So uh, if I work this many hours a week and um, treat my colleagues in this way and I have these credentials, then uh, surely there's some expected sense of outcome uh, for that in terms of where someone's career might go and so on. And then when it doesn't, when those things don't, um, don't give the outputs that people think they will or expect them to or, or kind of look around the rest of the world and, and, and see happening, uh, then that's when life becomes incoherent and it doesn't make sense and it becomes meaningless. And it's those sorts of connections that Ecclesiastes is, is primarily concerned about. Um, so things like uh, if, a, if a father amasses wealth and works really hard, uh, and he does so through wisdom and prudence. Uh, and then his son uh, inherits that wealth, but his son is not wise uh, and and basically squanders all the wealth. Uh, that's an example of, of things not really going as they should and certainly not going as planned. And the author of Ecclesiastes seems a little bit, uh, well, certainly troubled, a bit confused. Um and kind of throws his hands up about these sorts of things that he observes in in life.
1: He at times goes well beyond confused to seeming bitter and cynical uh, as he looks around the world and and everything in it. Uh, He he repeats a phrase, a very famous, well-known phrase. In Hebrew, it's hevel havalim. Which is often translated as "vanity of vanities" in English, uh, but what what do you think Ecclesiastes actually means when he uses that that Hebrew word "hevel"?
0: The book uses several key terms, and that that one is the is is probably the most prominent and certainly the most well known. Um, the word itself, "hevel." refers to breath. It can refer to a kind of vapor and in a, in a very concrete sense. So you get other passages where someone's breath or, or vapor was uh, somewhere passed through or whatever it is. Um, it's used to refer to the kind of uh, worthlessness of things or their are their, uh, being vain in the kind of futile sense. And so that's where we get the vanity translation. So uh, the idols of, of other nations are um, Hevels, really, um, as the prophets refer to it. I, I prefer not to translate the word, and and I think it's it kind of has a uh, because it has a bit of a range of meaning. It's not entirely <clears throat> clear uh, what it's meant to refer to, or or how it might be best for us translated. Um, and and so I I kind of leave it be, and I like its kind of richness and and some of its its ambiguity. Um, but I think we can, we can, in most cases, it refers to some sense of being kind of futile in the sense of something doesn't add up and, and even just incoherent. So it's, it's pretty clear that it, from the meaning of life perspective, it can refer to things that simply are incoherent. But it's used in other places in the book to mean some slightly uh, different things. So it, it's hard to pin down one meaning of the word throughout the whole book that's consistent throughout the whole book. and that really troubles some some people and they want to find something that fits or they want to find two options that fit. but I don't think that's a problem at all really and uh, we kind of just let it be and take it case by case
1: and And you follow the thread in in the book that the uh, the issue that is most deeply disturbing uh, to Ecclesiastes is, the unpredictability, the unreliability, and therefore the meaninglessness uh, of life as Hebel, that actions don't always have the same consequences. Some some children are raised with a a great deal of attention and kindness, and they turn out to be serial killers, and other children are neglected, and they turn out to be uh, pillars of the community. And and this, you uh, argue, is what causes pain, despair, and anger to the the writer of Kohelet. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And you get, I mean, those are excellent examples. And you get things kind of like that in here. And so, um, and it centers, it centers on expectations. Uh, and so what we expect from those, you know, as, as you say, certain certain children, and also from uh, well, there's another word used uh, for toil in in the book and so this kind of work or kind of uh, exertion and part of what Kohelet is doing is is examining it kind of sets up an investigation an examination of of everything as he says under the sun and this is probably just referring to the kind of human realm he's not he's not looking up into Heaven or uh, ethereal things. He's kind of just observing his world, and part of what he sees are these different instances and uh, and occurrences. And uh, you know, maybe not totally comprehensive, but but uh, the book is set up in a way to kind of say, "I'm I'm looking at everything that humans do, all that they do, all their toil all that they do um, under under the sun." So there's a bit of a universalization going on, and um, maybe it's no surprise that. Uh, Ecclesiastes is, is it's a favorite book among many people, and it's certainly a relatable book in terms of, uh, you get all kinds of people from all different backgrounds that I've spoken with, and um, they really can take something away or relate to uh, Ecclesiastes.
1: Yes, he, he's talking about the universal, uh, and uh, that made it extremely interesting that you put him uh, in the context of other ancient uh, writers and thinkers in, in, the, uh, in the Middle East, well, in the Mediterranean area, that, uh, that dealt with the same issues because, of course, they're the same issues because it's the human condition. Um, the cultures you look at are uh, Egypt, Mesopotamia, and Greece. So can you just tell us a little bit about how Ecclesiastes compares? Let's start with his Egyptian counterpart.
0: Sure. The um, the texts I select for these uh, for these different cultures are uh, you know they're a bit wide ranging. They're certainly wide ranging in time uh, and a bit wide ranging in geography, though. I, you know, these are some some texts. Many of these texts are texts commonly used in biblical studies, particularly of the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible, and um, so they're they're drawn upon from uh, time to time for. Uh, more or less, I think, for different books or different areas of of study. So the Egyptian texts I I look at um, are in part, they're they're kind of instructional literature. So they're they're versions of Proverbs. And I also look at some uh, laments and then a kind of, it's a bit hard to categorize, it's a dispute between a man and his Ba or his kind of soul. Sort of thing, and so it's this this really uh, long poem uh, exploring society and um, and this this man's response to it. So again, it's an eclectic bunch of of text, but the reason I I look closely at these is because they make some link between uh, suffering and the meaning of life, and that's the pattern I found in Ecclesiastes. So while the book of Ecclesiastes as a whole deals with each of these. Categories of meaning of life in, in a distinct way, and particularly coherence seems a big one. Uh, it is, as we said before, consistently linked up with uh, suffering in some sense. Particularly of the author who is um, says he hates life. Uh, he was grieved in his heart. He saw this this evil uh, and was sorrowful and, and and things like that. And so um, I look for any of those patterns across uh, Egypt and. What I found was, um, in these kind of big poetic lament texts, uh, you also get people basically examining uh, society, their society, in, in, in some degree, and they see a bit of a mismatch between um, basically what the, what they think should be happening in terms of patterns in the world, and they see uh, social patterns upset, uh, they see injustice, and, and and things like that, and um, that does that does bother them bother them as well in um the instructional texts so uh, proverbial type of of literature you get uh you really get a big pattern of coherence so in the same way that we might read proverbs and say oh what well, proverbs things add up things are coherent uh when um someone um saves when someone tries to to save their money they um they hold on to their wealth when someone uh, works hard. They gain wealth, uh, and so on. Those sorts of those sorts of patterns, as opposing to lose it or or um, yeah, losing it to someone or something. So uh, that similar kind of coherent pattern uh, occurs in in the instructional texts of of Egypt, and then you get a few exceptions, uh, a few exceptions in there. But um, it's helpful to have that norm, and then you can see the uh, other texts and how they they take exception to that. Um maybe the the last thing I'll say about that is is, is then you also get uh, purpose. It comes through mainly um, through the presence of death and, and and the reality of 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 death. And so uh, the Egyptians had a pretty distinct uh, view of of this. They um, were thought really to have a fairly positive view of of life, if I can put it that way um, but life really kind of... Uh, continued on into um, the next realm, and uh, that's that's really evident in things like the, the pyramids and 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 the um, artifacts that have been left behind um, from ancient Egyptian culture. And so they had a pretty um, clear view of the judgment of the dead, how they were judged, and what you needed to do in that uh, moment. And then also the types of ways that uh, well, kings, particularly, and and other uh, kind of prominent people, could uh, affect their existence in the afterlife, um, and so it it's hard. I don't want to kind of go speaking for an everyday Egyptian in the ancient world. That's pretty difficult to to do. We really get the the texts that we have are really sampling the kind of cream of the milk. So it's right off the top, um, and 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 it's quite hard to know about what what uh, broad. Uh, sets of society would have thought about things or how they would have been living or conceived of these ideas. but we do have a a, a pretty select sample of 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 people and times and ideas.
1: One thing that struck me, and I, I believe you pointed out uh, in your text, is the uh, the difference between the Egyptian and uh, Ecclesiastes' view of uh, the point of pain and suffering. Uh, That uh, the Egyptian, his Egyptian counterpart, if we can say it that way, um, seemed to think that anxiety and grief uh, can produce good results if someone is guided or guides himself uh, or herself through it uh, effectively, Uh, kind of like what people talk about today as. Uh, post-traumatic growth. That's how I imagined the the meaning was. But but Ecclesiastes sees nothing good about pain. He seems to say, take it out of your heart and soul and replace it with joy, which is a whole other topic of how you do that. Um, That happiness comes not through grief and suffering, but independent, despite uh, life's suffering. Uh, is that a correct interpretation of the difference between them of a difference let's yeah yeah,
0: yeah. no that, that that that's exactly right i i was really uh interested to to find that and discover that actually and and it's true ecclesiastes isn't it's it doesn't want to make space for those those um those painful moments and painful experiences. And and by that, I mean, in terms of what it's advocating for and saying how you should deal with that, it's not so much to embrace those. It's going to say, this is a reality of life. This is the way life is. Uh, but, uh, you know, don't d- don't embrace that as, uh, to, the, to whatever extent you can. Uh, find the joy, find the things that are, are happy in life and um, particularly embrace whatever it is that you're it calls it a lot but your kind of portion in life so what god has given you to do and be and the and the people he's given you to be around that that kind of thing but yeah the the egyptian view had a bit yeah it was it was it was a bit more maybe uh redeemable or constructive view of some of that 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 suffering and pain and that it might produce something good in the person and i think that as you say, I think there, there's, there's certainly space for that and certainly space for that in the Bible. I mean, Proverbs would be a bit more about uh, tough love and saying, you know, you, you might uh, go through some, some, some hardship and not least the teaching of the book and, and really have to work through that and come out better on the other side. Um, but Ecclesiastes for the kind of uh, slightly narrow um, scope that it gives us on, on, on things. Um, In terms of a a point of view, it's going to say that uh, this is the way things are, uh, but let me advise you otherwise.
1: Right. Well, that's why some of the traditional commentaries uh, opine that Proverbs was a product of a midlife writer uh, who still believes that nose to the grindstone, play by the rules, do everything right, and you'll win the prize and uh, that Ecclesiastes is written by an older person who says, well, sometimes that works, but sometimes it doesn't. Uh, But of course, there are many points of view of who wrote the texts and when and how old they were. Um, uh, We don't have time to go through a comparison with each one, um, although it's certainly well worth reading listeners, I hope you will re- read the book and look at how these uh, philosophers uh, viewed meaning of life. Um, but uh, Kohelet is very different from Greek philosophers, uh, but shouldn't they be able to be in harmony with one another? Take the Epicureans, for example. Um, they prize tranquillity, and living in tune with nature, avoiding pain and fear, and especially the fear of death. uh, Why wouldn't that be meaningful in the uh, the paradigm, the cognitive view of Ecclesiastes?
0: Yeah, the Epicureans, as you say, um, thought thought pain didn't really arise from uh nature or uh so sort of incoherent things in life uh but the primary cause of pain was uh unnatural human fear and so what they saw is just uh, something you shouldn't have these these human fears um and so uh they think you can kind of resolve that by um kind of taking control of these these fears and uh, adjusting your view on the world. It's kind of an internal thing. The world's going to be what it is and you're, you're, you're uh, in control of what's um, inside of you. Um, and so uh, one of the big differences I see between Ecclesiastes and the Epicureans is that um, they, they think through kind of study and knowledge of maybe yourself and even the world, you're going to uh, produce happiness because your fears are are largely, um, irrational for lack of a better, a better thing. Um, and that, that's as opposed to the kind of living in ignorance and then fear and then, and then resulting in pain. But, um, for Kohelet, the investigation into life, into all these things and the incoherence that he sees is really that it produces more, uh, it, it produces less happiness, it produces more pain. Uh, and so there's this really clear correlation between the kind of study and uh, investigation of, of life uh, and the kind of frustration that it, that it begets. Um,
1: That's so yeah. remarkable. that, And the first time one encounters that, Uh, Here is an investigator who's gathered the wisdom of the world as he knows it in his time and is trying to dig deep into the meaning of life. And one of his apparent conclusions is what I'm doing and what you, the reader, are doing with me is a cause of suffering.
0: Yeah, it is. It, it is pretty remarkable. It, it is remarkable, really, and I think it's 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 long debated what the as you'll know it's long debated what this final passage in the book uh, kind of means and if it relates to the rest of what's come before it and and how it relates. And so I'm referring to this, um, this 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 part of uh, the end of chapter 12, really, um, where um, the author says, you know, fear God, keep His commandments. Uh, this is the whole kind of that's the whole of, of, of humankind, the whole duty uh, of them, really. Um, God's going to judge every deed. Um, and there is a level, I think, with that kind of relatively straightforward uh, advice. Um, if you link that with some of the other things that I mentioned about taking your lot or embracing the portion that God's given you, so whatever he's kind of put before you to do... Um, I think that's a big part of of Kohelet's solution, uh, if he does have a solution. It's basically to say, listen, I've investigated this. It results in pain. You're probably going to feel that too as you as you read this book. Have you thought about these things too? And and I'm sure we can point to many philosophers throughout time who have uh, thought hard about life and, and ended up on the dis- despairing end of things. And uh, so he kind of says – don't think about it so much just kind of do what's what's before you and especially don't start trying to do too much predicting about the future and so on and so um what's there before you to do what can you uh worry about today um and um it recalls new testament passages actually about the today has enough worry for itself and uh so focus on that
1: yes be present in what's right in front of you uh, it, 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 Kohelet's, um, uh, emphasis on essentially the cognitive aspect of meaning in life, which is coherence. Um, it, it, would he have anything to say, uh, to his colleague in the text, Job, uh, to ease his suffering? Uh, Job's losses were personal. His suffering was physical and emotional, uh. okay it had it had a cognitive component why did the good suffer he didn't deserve it what what does Kohelet's philosophy have to say to Job
0: yeah Job is Job is kind of testing and maybe discovering the limits of his knowledge about how the world works how relationships work how uh, being wise and righteous works and so you can see a lot of incoherence in, in, in the book. Uh, here's a man who, um, we might say, uh, deserves or, um, uh, is, is rightly entitled to, uh, a, a decent life given, given what we're told about him at the beginning. And then he gets, uh, the complete opposite of that and gets so many things taken away and endures, um, hardship. And, uh, so, much of the middle of that book and, in, in, in it's kind of, uh, dialogue bits is really teasing out what he thinks about being innocent and what his friends, uh, think about him undergoing pain and, and suffering and the kind of loss that he's had. And, uh, uh, you know, he comes out on the other side restored. Uh, but, uh, before he does that, he has this sort of great confrontation with, with God who, who basically says, my ways are, are my ways. And, um, is actually a uh, uh, one verse that says um, these are the outskirts of his ways what a whisper do we hear of him in the thunder of his power who can understand that this is referring to to God and uh, I think that really captures a lot of what job uh, is meant to learn and what readers can take away away from that book so it <laughs> in a way, Ecclesiastes kind of picks up from there and and says, "I'm going to show kind of this widespread uh, incoherence. It doesn't always uh, go well for the righteous and it doesn't always go badly for the wicked uh, and so and then kind of takes us to the next step maybe so so I guess that's how that's how I'd see the two books relating
1: uh, well uh, Ecclesiastes recommends joy as a response to suffering, and what he says is uh it contradicts conventional wisdom in psychology today, uh, which is he sees joy as a, a god-given ability to enjoy something. It's not a decision to be positive and say everything is beautiful or uh, you know even if it seems bad it's really good. Uh, he uh, seems to think that that the ability to enjoy anything. Uh, is a gift from God, uh, which the more we learn about endorphins, actually, we may uh, uh, agree increasingly with uh, with Kohelet. Um, how does that work in a philosophical, religious context, though?
0: It's it's a good question. It's a difficult one, actually. And uh, you're exactly right that he's going to say basically God gives. God gives people joy uh, and he's even going to say some God doesn't give other people joy. Uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty coarse. It's a bit difficult to to deal with, I think. And, um, and even has a bit of a, one of the case studies in the book uh, really talks about this very thing. Right. Um, uh, Right. He's seen that someone uh, had, um, this life basically that that god enabled them to enjoy and all this all this stuff and 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 um abundance and things like that and then there was another person who didn't who uh who didn't have it but oh how how your question was how it relates to um kind of contemporary religious notions of joy i think yeah there is a there is a sense i think today um That that joy is really in your control. And it's really just what you make of your situation. Uh, Now, I think I wouldn't want to say too much about this until I put Ecclesiastes in its broader context in the Bible. And so um, I, I referred earlier to Ecclesiastes on the one hand, having a universal kind of scope. So the investigation is wide ranging but Ecclesiastes does nonetheless give us a slightly narrow view on some of the things that it talks about. And by that, I mean, uh, really it's, you know, it's, it's, it's view of God, for instance, is, um, it's certainly not the whole picture of God that we get throughout the Bible and even in, in other individual books of, of, of the Bible. And so, um, it would depend, it would depend a bit on, uh, what religion people are a part of, of course, and things like that. But I think you know, before I said anything about a particular religion and how the uh, joy works there, that Ecclesiastes is, you know, it is it is one part. If it was the only book we had, for instance, um, uh, to go on, on on any of these topics, then uh, I th- I think that would that's uh, would obviously be a bit uh, dramatic. Um, and uh, it's it, but it's not the only view, and so we get uh, these different themes, joy included, teased out throughout uh, other parts of the Bible.
1: Uh, finally, Arthur, um, please expand on your conclusion—the book's conclusion—that uh, the Book of Ecclesiastes, unlike, for example, some of the Psalms, uh, doesn't say that the human condition will change, but rather, as you write, he invites the readers to adjust. What what is what does that entail?
0: Mm, it's so. If the book is portraying this, well, it's portraying a human condition. It's really portraying a world condition. This is the way that the world is. This is the way that he's seen the world work. And I think, as attested throughout time and in interpreters and 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 just everyday readers of the book, that this makes a lot of contact with how our world works and um, has worked in in many ways and times. Um. So there's a sense of inviting the reader in to say, this is how the world works. Uh, Here are some kind of suggestions. Here are some, a few certainties, despite Kohelet being so uncertain about many things, about the timing of death, uh, even about perhaps what happens after death and so on, uh, that there are some things that he's quite uh, certain about. And so uh, there is an invitation to kind of grab onto those things, but it's really uh, giving people a a perspective on on the world and um uh maybe on of the world in it's kind of harsher realities so uh i wouldn't want to say this is how all of life and all of experiences all the time and i don't know that the author wants to do that uh either um but what i think he is doing at least is saying some of the time life is really like this and so um how are you going to uh to deal with that um given these uh, few suggestions and a lot of observations so um one of the ways that it 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 seems like the book might be kind of cluing us into the fact that these are while these might be universal and widespread things they aren't um necessarily the things that happen all the time uh or perhaps um Maybe in a way the norm we would we would say that so so if I was said is it normal that someone who works with wisdom then leaves it over to a foolish child that kind of thing um, he uses this phrase uh, there is there is a person or there was a man or I saw this this um, person in this instance and uh, some interpreters think that is is basically flagging up this is a this is a kind of exception to the rule I saw a person uh and this is what happened to to them so you know there's a few things to kind of juggle juggle and balance here but I I think that's what that that's what I meant by that conclusion Uh
1: uh-huh so do you think as many people do that uh Kohelet is a depressing book
0: I I like to think of of Kohelet as a realistic book uh I mean, it's certainly a it's certainly a downer. I I, I think I think it is. Uh, there, there, yeah, there are there are, there are difficult things to read in there. And I think if you kind of breeze through it, it it's not necessarily going to be the most most uplifting thing. I think when you start to tease those kind of implications out, um, thought through implications, for example, about you know relieve yourself of the anxiety. Given what he said, relieve yourself of the anxieties about trying to predict every outcome and control life all the time. Uh, and let some things go, and focus just on what's before you on your current circumstance. Um, now again, this is where the balance comes in. Proverbs is going to say you ought to make some plans really, and don't just leave everything up to the, the the last minute, that sort of thing. And so we get broadly a balanced view throughout a few of these books. Um, but in a way, it can be kind of it can be a, a little bit relieving, and I and I suspect I. I <laughs> thinking maybe of people who have had severe instances of, of incoherence in their life. And so this idea of a kind of, I don't know, an unexpected, undeserving inheritor or um, working in one way and another outcome um, happening and 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 so on. Um, that sort of thing that, that this might provide not so much a, a depressing kind of a depressing thought and and influence on them but but in some ways a kind of bit of a reality check and maybe even a bit of reassurance. I mean often you'll you'll be familiar with this that that talking with people who are going through something difficult uh, or a problem that they're really struggling with, I mean ninety percent of the time people just want to know and to hear that someone else has the same problem someone else has the same problem that they're not alone and that the only person facing this struggle and and out of that. Uh, a lot of kind of healing and and, and direction can come.
1: I, I I agree. I think one of the um, great contributions of this book is to the reader who recognizes her own darkest thoughts and says, "Well, here it is, as as part of the Bible. As this is, it's okay that I've thought this way." Uh, I think that in itself is very reassuring and uh, and supportive. Um, thank you so much for opening this book of wisdom literature for us. Um, before I let you go, uh, can you share with us what you're working on now?
0: What I'm working on now is um, really uh, broadly kind of Old Testament and, and Hebrew ethics. So ethics has always been an interest of mine, a kind of um, side interest or or a companion interest to the Bible. And so um, I'm kind of working on small projects as they come across in terms of ethical questions and issues throughout the Bible. But um, uh, also kind of working on something a little more comprehensive and, and wide ranging. Um, and starting in Genesis, really. So I've got I've, I'm I'm in Leviticus right now, and and, and really. Um, Really enjoying goodness. Leviticus rewards a close reading. It it has been has been fascinating, but um, yeah, ethics and um, across the Old Testament.
1: Well, we really do need some work in ethics in this world of ours, don't we? So I I wish you a lot of strength going forward, and I look forward to uh, reading what comes out of that work. Congratulations on this major treatment of uh, Ecclesiastes and and his friends. Uh, (laughs) uh, And thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us today.
0: Renee, thanks so much. This has been uh, a real delight to be on on the podcast. I really appreciate the invitation.
1: And thanks to our researcher, Bela Pasikov.